Javi, Javi, Javi. Javier Baez is a Met, and boy, does it feel good. He even homered in his Mets debut. But does the all-star infielder make the Mets a championship contender? We'll talk about the trade. The Mets losing two of three to the pesky Reds. The Miami series this week and the Mets opting not to sign Kumar Rocker. Our guest this week is good friend of the program, Mets radio voice in his black jersey, Howie Rose. Nobody is getting traded here next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. Amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. I am Jake Brown, and we'll talk about what my alter ego name or no name would be by Steve Summers in a little bit. <laughs> Alongside my co-host, Nelson Figueroa, whose name he didn't forget on WFAN on Thursday night. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. Later in the show, we'll be joined by a good friend of the program and a man that asked out my future mom on a date in 1983, the radio voice of the Mets on WCBS. That would be Howie Rose. Programming note, we'll have our normal show Thursday, but it'll be after the game against the Marlins. It's a noon game. We'll have the Barstool Mets podcast. We'll have them on for a little crossover podcast with them. And then come out Sunday. If you're in the area, if you're not in the area, come on down to Catch Astoria. Come out, K-A-T-C-H, Catch. Not the Catch Steak that you might get a, a overpriced steak from. Come out to Catch and Astoria. We'll be watching the Mets-Phillies game at 1 o'clock. We'll have T-shirts to give out. We'll have koozies to give out. An all-around good time. And then we will record Amazing But True 5 o'clock, around 5 o'clock, unless it's a long game and goes later. We plan to record 5 p.m., so be there. If you're a little late for the game, come on out, watch the podcast. We'll maybe do some trivia. We'll give out shirts, you know, get your Mets trivia ready. Looking forward to that. Catch a story of Sunday, August 8th, 1 p.m., Mets Phillies, 5 p.m. podcast. But, Figgy, that is an afterthought to the Mets getting Javi Baez about two hours after we dropped Friday's show. And unfortunately, I deleted the part where I predicted that would happen. Uh, so no one will know except you, and, and you will not vouch for me and company uh, <laughs> about the Mets getting him. You know, the giveaway, Crow Armstrong was a first-round pick, but was out for the year, is going through surgery and won't play for a while, was not going to be on the Mets for another, you know, three or four years. They get an all-star infielder, a guy that can play short, a guy that can play a little second, play a little third. He'll play short for now until Lindor's back. And they also get Trevor Williams, who got option to AAA, but is another starting pitching option here. You had to love the trade if you're the Mets, if you're a Mets fan, going into Black Jersey Friday to get an explosive bat like that, a guy who has power, and he put it out in his first game on Saturday. It was a move that excited the fan base, excited Francisco Lindor, who he talked about wanting to play with here in New York, and he now becomes an option that you can maybe sign long-term if you don't get Conforto or you do both and you figure out the money later. He's a guy who you could see in New York for a while. A lot of all-or-nothing figgy in terms of striking out a lot, his OBP being under 300. But when you talk about an exciting bat, we talk about Mago Barbudo. He is Mago. He is magic. That's the wizard, magician. And I'm excited to see him in these two months and hopefully excited to see him in an October run 
to see him in that lineup and on the left side of the infield along with Francisco Lindor. Yeah, I think the Mets looked around at the landscape and the West uh, definitely went headfirst into the trade market. They went and got all-star after all-star, those teams padding up their rosters um, and not just with able bodies, those two teams, the Padres and the Dodgers. And eventually the Giants did make a trade or two and they were able to get Bryant. But you saw what the Dodgers were doing when you're able to not just add Max Scherzer, to already very talented starting rotation, but then you add to an already talented infield and where Corey Seager was coming back from injury and you're going to have Corey Seager taking his place in shortstop. And, oh, yeah, let's just put Trey Turner over at second base, another all-star. What a trade for the Dodgers, and they made a huge splash right there. The Padres went out and they got Adam Frazier from the Pirates, and, of course, Padres already had a star-studded cast uh, to begin with. The Mets played against them and played very well against them with a bunch of guys that we don't even have in uniform anymore. So the Mets had to do something, and I, I believe that they did the right move. You got someone as dynamic, versatile as Javi Baez, someone who also, you know, he's a game-changer when it comes to the bat. The only problem with him is there's a lot of swing and miss as well, but he's not afraid of the big moment. He's not afraid. He's not going to stand up there taking strike three. We know that for sure out of him. And he didn't disappoint. First game and his second at bat winds up putting the team uh, down by one with a two-run home run and had Caballo Loco over here at second base. VR not gotten picked off. He would have tied the game with one swing of the bat. So it was exciting to see him make an impact in his very first game. Uh, we know what his defense is like. We've already seen him make several plays uh, defensively. So the Mets defense definitely has gotten stronger with Baez. You ask yourself now, is it enough? Is it enough to continue to compete? The Mets had said for quite some time that they were happy with this club. The, they knew that there were key pieces that were out. You're talking about your number one player and your number one pitcher being out and yet your team is still ahead of the NL East. But I don't think fans really wanted to hear that. I think fans were clamoring for, you know, some big explosive moves, some guys that were more exciting than a Williams, more exciting than just a Rich Hill. Again, those are able bodies. Those are guys who had success at the major league level. I get that. And it's better than having an Eikhoff or, you know, some of the other random names that we've seen. But I, I think you can never have too many arms. So when you've seen some of the relievers that started to disappear, off the market and Barrios who wound up going to Toronto for an ex-Met prospect (laughs) package that's something that you know leaves a little bit of a sour taste but I don't think it was for lack of effort that the Mets scoured the market and just didn't feel like they could give up their prized prospects to get some rentals Um, Javi Baez is a guy and it'll be a really good trade if they're able to lock him up and keep him in New York. And he's already said how he wants to play with Lindor and he wants to, you know, be a part of a team. This is a team that's built to win um, and win now. So when you're going from the Cubs where they went through all those lumps early on and he was a part of that growing process, they lost in 15, they win in 16. And now you see him, you know, rising to be a star. Gold Glover last year at shortstop. This is where, you know, he wants to probably, uh, it's the media mecca of the world. You want to win something big. You want to win it in New York. And I think uh, he's the kind of player that uh, alongside a Lindor, you'd love to have in uniform for a long, long time. Yeah, and you hope he has that Cespedes effect on that 2015 team where, you know, the Mets could separate themselves here because they lose two or three to the Reds and they get help from other teams losing. But the lead is only in three and a half games of the Phillies, four with the Braves and even only six and a half over a Nationals team that has Juan Soto, as we said, I think the last show looking like Will, Will Smith. He's got he's looking around like who are these guys yet the Nationals are hanging around 
as the Mets have you know yet to really pull away in this in this thing. I think we expect them to win, but they haven't pulled away yet. They they're almost going to win by default. But you worry in October how much better these other teams, even the Brewers, are playing well, and how much other these other teams. And and you worry that you, not only didn't you get another capable starter, Figgy. You could have got used a reliever. How many more times do we got to see Banda and today Jeff Hartlieb? I know the today was on the offense on Sunday, but you, you, there's only so many Bandas and Hartliebs. Like you can't spell heartbreak without Hartlieb. I mean, it is you. You just can't keep throwing out these AAA guys on a team that's trying to win a World Series. And uh, you know, Trevor Williams already getting option. They went with him because he had options over Zach Davies, which honestly bothered me a little bit. I think Davies is you know career wise, the numbers wise is a better pitcher. I know Trevor Williams had his moments in Pittsburgh, but a little alarming that the other pitcher you get is in the minor leagues as soon as you get him. That blew my mind a little bit, Figgy, but you know, you really hope that he stays long-term because you salivate at the thought of Baez, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo, and even Cano in the mix. You know, for, you know, we don't even think about that, but think about Cano too. If there was no DH, you know, maybe Baez plays third, Cano at second, Lindor at short, and Alonzo at first. I mean, that is just an absurdly good hitting infield. If if they actually made that happen, you think about the future of this team, and you're starting to think more about it with how bad Michael Conforto's been, and we'll talk about it later with Howie Rose, but under 200, season ends today, you're not even thinking about sending him an offer unless it's a one-year deal. So Baez might be the guy that takes that money away from uh, Conforto. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're trying to weigh all your options right here, and if you're going to have Baez come into the fold and play in the infield, and you're going to have Cano coming back, you still have McNeil, you still have J.D. Davis, you still have so many options that somebody's got to play the outfield, right? So you're going to have to figure out what exactly you're going to do with the rest of the bodies, whether J.D., you know, becomes your left fielder and you have Dom playing right. Defense is a huge thing. We've noticed that all season long. We said how, you know, very underestimated this defense uh, was from the beginning. Uh, you know, they played terribly early on, but they started to play some really good defense, which has helped this team win ball games. This team has been in a lot of close ball games. The offense, very alarming because they did have their best month in July, but I think it was so skewed because you had a couple of blowout games there, right? We had the 15 run game that they had in Cincinnati. So, yeah, 15 runs is like a whole two weeks for the Mets' normal offense and what they've been producing. So it's been very frustrating. If you look at the Mets right now, uh, over the season, if you get four runs or more, the Mets have only lost nine games this whole season if they score more four or more runs. They've lost only That's nine mind games. Blowing. Isn't that? That is mind-blowing. And, and then if you go below that, so three and under, yeah, I get it. So you have two runs or less has happened 35 times 35 times they've scored two runs or fewer 35 times and in those games they've only won five of those games so you can see the tail of two teams very quickly right and the approaches suck saturday they kept swinging 3-0 and we knew bias because he's a free swinger but take a damn pitch 3-0 thinking how I you I was texting you about bunting oh, guys over. This guy, you know, I love bases loaded. Bunt. You wanted him to bunt. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Jury luckily got the hit. I would have maybe bunted there, but stop swinging three oh, especially when a pitcher is wild. So here's the thing, right? What what goes back and forth, and this is the chess game, the game inside the game, the game where if you're looking at the statistics and you're looking at first pitch swinging percentages, maybe the last time they played them, the last series in Cincinnati, they didn't swing a lot at the first pitch or they didn't swing at all on 3-0. and Now, all of a sudden, the team goes there and they say, hey, when they get 3-0, and you know, they're very patient. They're going to take a pitch. You might get a fastball right down the middle to hit. That's the pitch you're looking for, not 
the jam broken bat by VR, even though it worked and he got an RBI for it. That's not what you're looking to do. Three and you're looking to leave the yard three and at least hit the ball off a wall somewhere. We saw it happen over and over and over again. Three and was the next guy was a uh, uh, Pete came up and swung three and and hit a ground ball, weak ground ball. We saw a ton of weak ground balls. We saw a ton of just crazy swings, which this Mets offense has to kind of lock it down. And what I loved about Saturday's game with all this exit velocity crap, with all this, you know, big swing, you got to swing for the fences. It was two of the weakest swings on the day or of the week even that tied the game and won the game because it's called situational hitting. It's called coming up clutch and having a plan and understanding what you're trying to do out there. They didn't need guys swinging from their asses and trying to hit home runs. What they needed was a guy to be able to put a a breaking ball in play. And you saw Dom do that. That's the guy I want up with the game on the line uh, currently on the Mets to, as they're constituted Dominic Smith every single time give me him with bases loaded then you have Brandon Drury who's living they always say he's, he's in a tree right now like he's just high so high above everybody else right now it, just, they showed his average the last seven games it was like 773 it, it, <laughs> it, it was 11 for 15 uh, as of that hit um that night and going into Sunday's game right it was 11 for 15 since he's come back up to the big leagues it's so hot in fact you decided that oh, was a lefty pitching we're gonna sit Michael Conforto Michael Conforto who was your all-star last year is the guy that you're were hoping to hang a franchise, you know, tag on and, and say, hey, we want this guy to be a Met for life. Now you're sitting there taking him out for a guy you just called up from the minor leagues who, and I, I have to applaud Luis Rojas and the coaching staff and, you know, the front office with all the minds that be that say, hey, you know what, maybe give Conforto some downtime against lefties. Let Drury continue to swing a hot bat and he has yet to disappoint that's something that I think is is very understated at this team that they do do things like this. Tomas Nito was playing over McCann when he was struggling. Remember that? So that's something that I think you've got to give a little bit of credit for. But this offense has to be better, man, up and down the lineup. What was McCann swinging at after Baez had 3-0 in the ninth inning? Swings and misses, swings and misses. Swings and misses at a ball on the other side of, of the batter's box because he's trying to be – he was a star, you know, and a superstar where he almost tied the game. He wanted to be the hero. And what a back page it would have been if he could have got the walk-off hit to win the game. He was trying to do too much. And I think that's something that people have known about him for quite some time. Then you had the next guy that comes up as McCann. And the ball almost hits him in the chest. Almost in the chest. And he swung. Full swing. As hard as he could. And wound up fouling it off his knuckles. And I'm sitting there holding my head going, what? are you doing like that's a guest hitter at best but if you're going to guess that way you've got to get the barrel to the baseball he looked surprised as all heck that that ball was in on him it's scary swings like that and we call those individual at bats those are watch me at bats and that's not something that wins ball games very often i love the approach by dom i love the approach by drury when nimmo is out of this lineup it is very difficult to watch home run derby. It's a baseball. different team. It's a home it run different der- it's team. Home run derby baseball. Because more people need to follow what he does. I mean, sometimes we make fun of him for not swinging enough, but when the guy's OBP is over four hundred, he's setting the table. And when you have him at the top of the lineup versus a McNeil or VR, it is a completely different world. I know McNeil had the had the long home run Sunday, but 
it, they need Nimmo healthy, and that's been the problem. He can't stay healthy every day. It's like a new nick, a new injury. His finger hurts, his hip hurts, his knee hurts. I mean, he he sounds like you know me. I mean, it's <laughs> he's crippled out there. It's like when my sleep on the wrong side of the bed. But he is different for the team. And you you mentioned Conforto lefties. Drury Drury needs to play right field every day. I mean, Conforto needs to get three to four days maybe to get his mind right. And you got to drop him to eighth. I, I he's hitting in the middle of the order five six. He's batting one. 96, the combination of Nimmo not playing and Conforto in the middle of the order wasting at bats is hurting the Mets. So you got to play the hot hand, and Nimmo's got to stay in the field and play every day. That's a Terry Collins special. Remember that? Whenever somebody needed a mental break, he would you know, give them four days off. You're not playing the whole series. Don't care. The, the team is going to be better off if you can get, get your mind together, get right, and not have that pressure of trying to perform. You, know, you always keep telling yourself as a player, you know what? I had a bad game. My next one could be better. You know, if I went over tomorrow, I go two for four. Then, you know, you start to that's why it's called an average. It's the law of averages right now for Conforto. Everything just seems like, you know, he has that one moment where you think, okay, here he comes. He's starting to hit the ball. Okay, here it's going to start rolling. And then he faces a couple of lefties and he looks totally lost and he looks lost for a long, long time with him. Yes, I say bat him lower in the order because I'll tell you right now as a pitcher, I get through the middle of that lineup with Baez, with, you know, whether it's Baez, Davis, Alonzo, you got McNeil, you got Dom Smith, you got the middle of that order. And then all of a sudden I get down there and I'm like, ah, I get to breathe. Oh, wait a minute. Michael Conforto's batting seventh, eighth. You make a mistake. And yes, he could change the game as well. And that could give him some confidence. We've seen it done before, but I think because he's been such a superstar type player that you feel like you have to put him in the middle of the lineup because it's going to click. It's going to click. It's not happening. And the Mets offense, it, it cannot continue to go this way. They cannot continue to score two runs or fewer every single time. You know, the, the, a new team comes to town. You're always seeing in the first one or two games of the series, there seems to be a blueprint, especially when it comes to slower breaking balls. It seems to be a ton of breaking balls. They will swing themselves, you know, out of an at bat. They, they're not afraid to swing. And it's almost to a fault where you want to see these guys maybe taking some pitches, getting on base, putting more and more people on base. The worst thing for a pitcher is to be working out of the stretch and under stressful conditions from pitch one to pitch 50. You already feel like you've thrown 150 pitches by that point. And that's where you start making mistakes. That's where you start leaving balls up in the zone. And guys like Conforto can take an advantage of a hanging slider instead of the slider that bounces on the plate because this guy just threw, you know, 10 pitches in the first three innings. That's what we need to see more of. And this, this, this lineup is perfectly capable of doing it. Don't get me wrong. We've seen them do it. But again, July was inflated for me. There was a couple of games where they had some high scoring going on. Um, and it wasn't just a every single game because we see it. I, showed, I just told you the numbers. Four runs or more. They've only lost nine games all season long. That's astounding. That was rough over the weekend. The Jacob deGrom news was rough, Figgy. Oh. We're not going to see him till september at the earliest so it's not good it's uh i'm worried that we might not see him in october either at this point but we'll see we'll see how it plays out the good news is carlos carrasco outside of his first pitch i mean here's the first pitch and the ball game's <laughs> over i mean first pitch home run oh, you man. were uh you were sitting in manhattan traffic missing it watching on your phone and then you show up in in the, your own black jersey which i know is a thrill for you 
to uh, be back there in black. I think there was a lot of excitement there. It came out. It just looked great. Everything looked cool. A busy first inning. The homer by Carrasco, but then the Mets have bases loaded, no outs. They score a run and get no one no one home. Yeah, but they scored they, that run. Yeah, they, they scored the run it. beforehand, right? It was Nimmo got on. Shocker. Nimmo gets on. A double down the line. Nimmo scores. Boom. You're in. You're in balls in motion, right? You got the man on second. Now all of a sudden they they bases loaded, nobody out, and they go into this mode of I'm going to hit instead of just a double and get two RBIs, I'm going to hit a seven run home run. There's no such thing. So stop swinging for the fences. Stop trying to kill the ball. You know the pitcher's not going to throw you. Stop with the bunting. But you know the pitcher's not going to give you a fastball to hit down the middle. What do you think this is? Little league? It's not going to happen. You're going to get more and more breaking balls the more that the bases are loaded or there's runners in scoring position even. That's what makes it so difficult. If you're a pitcher who can pitch and use your other pitches for strikes uh, when you're behind in the count and you've got runners in scoring position, the advantage is always to the pitcher in that situation. You take advantage of hitters' aggressiveness. They're just being too overly aggressive. Donnie Stevenson has them hyped up, attacking fastballs and killing fouls. This is where all that ridiculousness uh, of the fake coaches comes into play because the real coach who's sitting there shaking his head going, we just had to put the ball in play. Even if you got a ground ball, double play, it's another run. And they couldn't they do Quattlebaum in a quagmire over there. I mean, <laughs> quagmire, Quattlebaum. Bunch, just move. Stop I know you make bunt. fun of me. Move the runner over. In the words of Patrick Henry, give me bunt or give me death. I don't think he said uh, that. Was it Patrick Treason or Patrick Henry? Uh, Who was the guy? I, I don't, I don't think he said that. Either one. Give me liberty. Give, give me liberty or give me death. Give me bunt or give me depth. Give me depth too. Give me death <laughs> and depth. That's what I said. <laughs> That's pitching staff. Won't have a lot of depth in the coming years, Figgy, because Kumar Rocker just went on sign. And I know the medicals were messed up. I get it. You're worried about his elbow, but I think this sends a terrible message. You know, your first round pick, now you have no first round pick. Maybe there's an elbow problem, but there's doc there's world class doctors, there's hospital for special surgery, there's Tommy John surgery to get him right. His stuff seemed so good and it seemed like he was ready for the big leagues in a month. Like they said he was ready for September. I get it. It's a money thing. You know, Steve Cohen tweeted about it, compared it to like the you know, GameStop, um, to like the stock markets and investments. But I don't know if this sends this sends a very will pony message. That they didn't just, you know, at least extend the guy an offer. So I'm worried that Kumar Rocker, and we also don't get the Harold and Kumar free White Castle Day, which I was excited about. Um, but we don't get Kumar Rocker. I'm worried he's going to be a Hall of Famer for another team. Yeah, that's always the worry, right? When Mets give away or Mets, you know, throw away, winds up being an All Star somewhere else. Think about it. they traded a first round pick Friday and then they didn't sign one on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a method to the madness, and I think one of the things you have to, what most fans have to realize is that you're looking at a guy who did not do a pre-draft physical or pre-draft MRI. That lack of MRI is kind of a, a big red flag for teams. That's why so many teams passed on him. It wasn't his ability. It wasn't that, oh, his velocity dropped a little. Listen, the guy has thrown a ton of innings over the past three years from freshman of the year to, you know, taking Vanderbilt to the you know national title game yet again. Uh, him and Leiter, you know, one and two in all in strikeouts in all of college baseball. He led college baseball with wins. So the guy is a polished, accomplished 
pitcher who has major league stuff without a doubt. Hence why he's going to be a first round draft pick whenever he goes back into the draft. And he won't be going to Vanderbilt. They said he will test likely the professional and then go to the draft next year. Yeah. So what you're looking at with him is the, the, the issue that you're having is that if there is nothing wrong and there's nothing wrong with the medicals and you're talking about at least getting $4.7 million, cause that's what the slot got the 10th, pick in the first round was getting $4.7 million. So if you're at least getting that, then why would you not show the medicals? Remember, the Mets signed a shortstop out of Stetson, and before he threw a pitch as a pitcher, wound up having Tommy John, and it turned out pretty good for the Mets. I mean, currently, of course, he's on the IL, but Jacob deGrom has two Cy Youngs to boot. They didn't sign him to such an, a, a huge amount of money. It's not about the money. It's not a Will Pond move because, honestly, come on. If you think Steve Cohen is going to miss the $6 million, if that's what it would have taken to sign him, he would have done that in a heartbeat. But if you're going to do something of that magnitude, you want to feel good about it, that this guy is going to be – guaranteed money is something that's so different about baseball than other sports, Right. It's the guaranteed money part of it. You're guaranteeing. So for that guarantee, I want to feel comfortable. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect. It doesn't mean that it has to be, oh, yeah, his elbow looks great. His shoulder looks like it's never been used before. They know there's going to be fraying of the labrum. They know that there might be a slight tear here and there. That's what pitching does to your body. And if you're a good pitcher and you've been a good pitcher for a long time, even though you're just you know in college still, you've thrown a lot of pitches. It's to be expected. So there's nothing that could have come up on an MRI. Remember, we interviewed a guy who won a Cy Young as a knuckleballer, who when it came, he was a first-round draft pick. They decided they didn't like a picture that he took, not an MRI, a picture. And they felt like his elbow, since he didn't have an ulnar collateral ligament, that he wasn't going to get the $2 million signing bonus, and he had to earn it every step of the way. So there's ways that that could have been worked out. More so than anything, this is a Scott Boris client. And for Boris, I still feel he has some resentment over the Matt Harvey handling. I still feel that he knows how things are going with Michael Conforto. I feel like Boris doesn't individualize it necessarily to just Kumar Rocker, but he's saying, you know what? I don't have to do it. We don't have to do it that way. So we're not going to do it that way. If it's a good faith move and you want your client, your client's going to get $6 million. It's reported $6 million, but the slot was going to get at least 4.7. So in a good faith, why would you not? Scott Boris hates the Mets, basically. Ah, give me a Scott Boris client that you remember signing with the Mets. We'd have to check the record books. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not very many. Fidelity Investments is going to have to start sponsoring the Mets soon <laughs> with all this investment talk. And it's all about money. The great words of ABBA, money, money, money must be funny in the rich man's world. Steve Cohen's world would be the rich man here. Uh, Kumar Rocker is not a Met, but the Mets will face the Marlins this week in Miami. Big four-game series. We will see Walker again this week. We'll see how he does. We'll see Carrasco again this week. We'll see our ace, Tyler McGill, on Monday. I mean, he's been literally the ace of the team. We'll see Rich Hill as well. Before we get to our guest this week, Howie Rose. Howie Rose, who used to be on WFN, a, another guy who was on WFN, Steve Summers. And he had Nelson Figueroa as his guest on Thursday night. And uh, Figgy hyped me up in the beginning. He said my name, but... Here's how Steve Summers, Figgy, addressed me when uh, he had uh, he had you on the show Thursday night. That's uh, that's usually my <laughs> my line, now, Nelson. And we are talking to Nelson Figueroa, and among other things, 
uh, do know about his uh, podcast, Amazing But True, uh, with Nelson and uh, and company. And uh, the Mets, <laughs> with all the injuries. And company. Yeah, and company. I get called and company. And wasn't there another reference at some point, figuring uh, that he, he, he forgot my name again? Right? Well, yeah. In the beginning, I laid it right out. I talked about Jake Brown, what a fantastic job he does with all the sports podcasts for the New York Post. And said your name several times and thought it would click. But as we ended the show, it did not click. And this is how he uh, ended the show. And all right, uh, Nelson, the podcast is amazing but true uh, with Nelson Figueroa and uh, and uh, some others uh, that uh, make that podcast <laughs> worth a listen. And uh, Nelson, thanks so much for giving us some others. I mean, I... so you bet. Kidding me? I mean, good lord! I mean, the easiest name in the book. You could call me Jacques. You could call me Jacob. I mean, I don't like Jacob, but he doesn't forget. He forgets Jake Brown. I got. I worked there. I met Steve Summers. Maybe one day I will be replacing Steve Summers, and that will be the day he'll maybe finally know my name. But for now. I am some others and company. That's going to go to my LinkedIn bio. Uh, <laughs> call me some others and company. I'm good company. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. How does this? Why does this happen to me? <laughs> uh, one guy who does know my name is Howie Rose, and he joins us next right here on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is a friend of the program, a longtime Mets radio voice on WCBS. That would be Howie Rose. You can follow him on Twitter at Howie Rose and also find him on Cameo at Rosie, R-O-S-E-Y, 54. Howie, a wild weekend at City from the ceremonies that you did a great job emceeing on Saturday for the Mets Hall Thank of you. Fame to the Mets getting Javier Baez to losing two out of three, Baez homering, a walk-off, and Kumar Rocker not signing as well. I want to start there just because that was kind of the big news of the evening. Did that surprise you that the Mets didn't extend him an offer? It surprised me that it broke down, and I don't know the extent of, obviously, Rocker's physical situation. Uh, the Mets know way more about this than I do, and everybody's throwing opinions out without having the facts. I'm not saying that the Mets potentially didn't make a mistake here, but I don't know the facts, so I can't say that with any kind of certitude. But I do have a feeling that this didn't break down over money, and I really don't. I think that there is serious concern about his condition, now, you could certainly say, well, all the other teams passing on Kumar had to be the red flag that made this something of a gamble. And maybe they figured that uh, it was worth investigating and that it would be a, a reasonable, I wouldn't even say gamble necessarily, but a reasonable leap of faith, let's say, to, to work out a deal. But, but the reasons they could are really things that we're not privy to specifically. Unless they come out. I am surprised at the way it's worked out. Absolutely. And they do get the 11th pick next year plus their own. And who knows if they lose any of these potential free agents uh, that they qualifying or for another pick coming. So I don't know. It's a puzzle to be sure. The Mets get Javi Baez on Friday, Howie. Black Jersey Friday. And you rocked it. You rocked it on Twitter. You look good in it. I know you were Ant Mr. Anti-Black Jersey. How did it feel throwing <laughs> that thing on fr uh, Friday night? 
I, I felt a little dirty, but you know, uh, look, um, the card carrying traditionalist, we all know that. I had a couple of people who I, you know, I kept insisting you didn't have to worry. The black jerseys were never coming back. But then when they started making this noise, not only after Steve Cohen bought the team, but you might remember there was some momentum building towards this about a year ago before COVID. And I had some friends teasing me about it saying, oh, they're coming back. I'm saying they're not coming back. And then as this thing evolved, it was, well, if they come back, you're going to have to wear one, take pictures, and people are going to have to see it. So Look, I put it on. I took one for the team. It is pretty slick looking, but they're not Mets colors. And I'm just very, very traditional in my thinking about what baseball uniforms should look like. And I think the Mets have one of the great classic uniform sets in all of baseball with their home pinstripes and, uh, you know, the blue and the orange taken from the Dodgers and the Giants and, and the classic road uniforms. And I, I don't like seeing that stuff messed with, but I get it. We understand the reason that they do it. And so whatever. If it's just a Friday night thing, have at it. Just knock yourselves out. Yeah, but the best part is, is I'm sure you kind of did a little silent fist pump when they lost. Ha! Ah, told you those black jerseys suck. <laughs> no, I would never I would Yo. never do that, but they do say karma's a you-know-what. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in two weeks, we're going to see Javi Baez in one. I was hoping he would be able to get on a private jet and get to the ballpark immediately Friday. He didn't. Uh, hit a homer in his debut on Saturday and a fun win on Saturday. Is he the final piece, assuming DeGrom came back healthy and Syndergaard comes back September? Is he the final piece to a potential championship team, or did this team not do enough at the trade deadline, Howie? I don't know. You know, I remember saying on, um, when was the deadline? Friday, right? So it must have been during Thursday's game, the day game against Atlanta. I think um, Wayne and I were talking about this, and I, I seem to recall saying rather specifically and adamantly that the Mets are going to add an arm. I wasn't expecting Trevor Williams. I thought they were going to be able to make a deal for someone who could you know, potentially, if not be a difference maker per se, someone who would fill out the rotation in, in a way that would give you comfort knowing this guy was going to be going out there as part of the rotation. And, uh, you know, I guess the other side of that is Carlos Carrasco was very encouraging on Friday night, but I thought they were going to come away with a pitcher that was going to help them right away, either in the bullpen or in the starting rotation. They didn't get that. I have to hope that they have enough to get by because every day there's either another injury or another pitcher who, as we saw in Sunday's game against Cincinnati with Jeff Hartley, forced to join the bullpen after they were worn out on Saturday night and they had the space because Guillaume had to go on the IEL. You know, Hartley's not a guy that was obviously going to be a fit in this bullpen in, in a responsible role. So, you know, they've got to hope that they've got enough out there to get from through these last two months. And the competition, quite frankly, behind them, even though there have been some improvements made by both the Phillies and the Braves, still doesn't suggest that the Mets are ready to be overtaken if the Mets can at least continue to tread water. They had to add an arm, especially a back-end closer type where Kimbrel's available. And I get that, you know, that was a high price that they paid uh, the White Sox to get Kimbrel. So they were wowed by that. You could understand that they weren't trying to give up Mauricio or anybody of that magnitude for a rental. Then you also look at the other side of it, that if Max Scherzer is available or Berrios is available, who has another year left on his contract and, and Max Scherzer went along with Trey Turner 
to the Dodgers. And it doesn't seem like that's – we've seen these kinds of trades before, Howie. We've seen – I talk about it all the time, how the Mike Piazza trade, yeah, the Mets gave up three you know pieces of their farm system and a guy who you know was a good major league player in Preston Wilson, but you got a Hall of Famer uh, that, uh, that a, a superstar, a showstopper uh, in Mike Piazza – You've kind of got to make a move of that nature. When you look at out West, every team was doing it. They were outdoing each other. How many all-stars can we add? I didn't understand it. You know what, Siggy? If we could take what we were told at face value, and every indication is that this was, in fact, the case. They wanted Scherzer. They were prepared to go real hard for Scherzer. But the signals came out pretty early on that he didn't want to pitch in New York and he wanted to go out to California. And as a 10-5 and guy... You know, you can beat your head against the wall all you want, but he was never going to come here based on everything that we heard and that turned out to, in fact, have been true. So then they had to circle back and say, well, okay, just to use your comparison, is giving up the level of prospect, plural, that they would have to have given up, say, for Barrios, a guy with one more year after this of team control, and whether that would have meant, well, they weren't going to give up Francisco Alvarez under any circumstances, nor should they have. So then you were thinking, well, and I don't know, I'm just being hypothetical because I'm not in on these things. Uh, you know, would Mauricio and Vientos have been as good a package as what the Twins wound up getting? Probably not. I'm not saying they even offered Mauricio, but I thought that Ronnie Mauricio probably would have been the one extendable one among their top three or four prospects because you have Lindor signed for the next 10 years after this. And if Mauricio is a guy that you look at and hope that maybe he could go play third base, well, you've got Brett Beatty who is moving along somewhat quickly now. So that's why I thought that Mauricio might be a big chip that they could play. But I get the feeling that in order to get Barrios, it was going to have to be, and again, this is just hypothetical, Mauricio and Beatty, or Mauricio and leaving Javi Baez's deal out of it, Crow Armstrong or Mauricio and, and, and somebody else. And I guess they just weren't prepared to pay that price because, again, to tie it in together with, with your analogy, the pitching addition of Jose Barrios is not anything close to Mike Piazza, even though you had Barrios for control for another year, and the Mets did not have that control over Piazza when they acquired him in 1998. Baez is a Met now, and now the question we have to ask is, are they spending all the money on the Baez in the offseason, or are they going Conforto, or are they getting both? Because Michael Conforto uh, is hitting under 200, and uh, I'd be stunned the way he's going right now if they're going to give him you know, a long-term $25 million a year contract, Howie. There, there is a lot to unwrap there, isn't there? And, and when you go back to Michael Conforto, I'm as puzzled as anybody, and they can talk all they want, and Luis Rojas has, and you Quattledom has, saying he's close, he's just about ready to break out. I sure hope he is, because I'm so fond of Michael, and he's a terrific kid. And I even said something on the air during Sunday's game, that if you wanted to paint a comparison from a different perspective between Michael Conforto and his season and another Met of the past who turned it around, I would look all the way back to 1973 when Tug McGraw, who was, you know, obviously one of the spiritual as well as on-field leaders of that Mets team that stormed from last place to first on route to the Mets winning the National League pennant. Tug McGraw was awful for the first four months of that year. And Yogi Berra, somewhere in July, decided, well, let me give him a couple of starts, see if that'll get him straightened out. And uh, he didn't do very well in the first start that he made, but the second one, he pitched much better and gradually came around to where in September, they couldn't touch him. And the same through most of, if not all, of October. So 
maybe they need to do the hitting version of that with Conforto and, and just, you know, play him against right-handers for now or limit his playing time a little bit and, and hope that, you know, it clicks one day because if you're Michael Conforto, okay, the numbers at the end of the year are not going to be there. They're just not going to be what Michael Conforto hoped he would get in his walk year for a total season's output. But that doesn't mean he can't suddenly have the light bulb go off, hit 320 over the last two months or something like that, and be a major force in the Mets advancing however far they go. I hope that's his mindset. But, you know, right now, if you try to project what he's going to get after the season, it's going to be much, much, much less than what he and Scott Boris might have been expecting. And, and then who knows what that means? Do you get into a qualifying offer that maybe he takes to rebuild his value? We're way ahead of the game suggesting that. But it's a conundrum, no question. When are you back on the road in the booth, Howie? Because your Marriott rewards points are slacking this year uh, with COVID well, screwing up uh, these road games. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, as broadcasters, we're a company, we are accustomed to being on the team charters, flying with the team. That's how you do it. You cannot broadcast baseball. If you're going to do it the way we do on radio, doing every game, you can't do that flying commercially. It just doesn't work for a number of reasons, and I'm not going to go through them all right now because you know, you're going to think I'm just you know crying or something, but it's just not pragmatic. You can't do it. You can't play a game in one city that ends at 11 o'clock at night, get back to the hotel, get to sleep after one, and then have to get up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to make a 7 a.m. flight for a game in another city the next night and expect to be able to you know, do a credible job. No, it doesn't work that way. So I go where the team goes. If, if right now that this doesn't matter because the MLB protocol states that if a team is not at 85% vaccination, then the tiers that, that I represent, tier three, where we're not even allowed on the plane, we have to be up to tier two. And that's not going to happen until they're 85% vaccinated. And that's probably not going to happen this year. So it's a moot point, really, for 2021. Hopefully by 2022, this will be to a larger extent than it is now beyond us and things will be back to normal. But that's the only way I'm traveling is with the team. There's a lot of continental breakfasts that are getting missed, uh, missed out <laughs> on in 2020. A lot of waffles that are going unturned. Nothing like those powdery eggs to get you going for the day. <laughs> How, Howard Johnson, Hojo is losing business in his hotel uh, system howie <laughs> rose you can follow him on twitter at howie rose check him out on cameo rosie 54 last one i just want to ask about saturday it was cool i think yeah. for the younger generations to howie to you know hear about al jackson to hear about john matlick obviously we know about ron because we hear him in the booth every day and fonzie who as a, you know was one of my childhood favorites how cool was right. that to mc and to get kind of the different generations of mets Honor on Saturday. Well, they're all so special for me personally, having grown up here and obviously growing up a Mets fan. So every one of those players means something to me, either from my youth as a fan or from my professional career where I've gotten to know them for the most part as friends. So there was a lot of love down there on that field. And I just, I'm so honored. I, I never lose sight of what an incredible honor it is to be out there representing the team under those very happy circumstances, which don't come around all that often. So for me, it's as much a thrill as it ever was. And as far as everybody getting to experience a little something about the rest of those players, there was something for everybody last night. It spanned every generation of Mets history. I just love seeing how happy they all are for each other. I hadn't seen Ray Ordonez in years. 
And what a treat that was. You know, I remember Ray, when he was a kid, didn't speak a word of English and was shy. And he ain't shy anymore. How about Fonzie? I got her Alfonso, I remember coming up as a real shy guy. And he went on and on and on with his speech last night. And he was having the time of his life. So I love being in that environment. I love seeing those players who were so well-received during their careers and had so much success receive the accolades that they so, so terribly deserve and i was just thrilled for every one of them fonzie's speech i mean that was cooperstown on crack almost it was it was a, <laughs> it was a cooperstown speech times 10 so the people who came late well, and, and missed it realized you know it, it was a great speech though but you're right we're i mean we he was on our first episode figgy and uh he t- he talked your ear off on saturday night oh my goodness i mean remember now i knew fonzie since the day he came to the big leagues and as i say he was rather a shy kid still learning the language. And so I couldn't believe it when I introduced him and he steps up to the podium and he goes, hello, New York. <laughs> wow. What is this? We got uh, Jimmy Fallon here. He was so comfortable just speaking as off the cuff as he could. He just had a few little liner notes with him and it was just great. I, mean, I just love, love, love those ceremonies. I cannot wait for Jerry Kuzman's number retirement coming up on August 28th. That is going to be another love fest. And as last night's ceremonies were, long overdue. Kuzi, I can't wait for it. Live from New York, it's Saturday night with Edgardo Alfonso. Talk about Al Jackson now. Who was an original med and did everything as a a coach and instructor for the Mets. And, And obviously, well, when I played at Fantasy Camp back in 1988, you know, Al Jackson was was a mainstay there. I don't know that he was involved as much in fantasy camp over the last number of years as he had taken ill and obviously couldn't participate by that time. But Figgy, you must have benefited enormously from the teachings of Al Jackson, huh? Oh, my God. Al Jackson, day one, I remember just standing next to him and, and his presence, not even knowing much about him, okay? And just... It, the way that he spoke to you, because I knew what I was, who I was. I was a 30th round draft pick, right? For me, it was going to probably be two years of pro ball. And if I couldn't hack it, find a job coaching or whatever. I got there and Al Jackson never spoke to me like I was a 30th round draft pick. I stood next to some of the first rounders and some of the high draft picks. And he gave me as much attention as they got. He was impressed with the way I, I went out and I, I was able to throw five pitches for strikes, move the ball all over the strike zone. And he said to me, one of the greatest compliments that I didn't even realize at the time was he said, you know what I like about you? And we just met. He said, you remind me a lot of me. He goes, I, can, te- he goes, I can tell that it pisses you off to look around and have to prove yourself. And I was <laughs> like, you can tell that already. <laughs> and he goes, he says to me, he goes, you're from New York. I said, yes, I am from New York. He goes, I could tell that every pitch you throw is with a purpose. He goes, and don't ever stop being that guy. And as I climbed up through the ranks, I would always see him and we always shared a moment. And one of the last times that I saw Al was during fantasy camp. They brought him, uh, Reggie had brought him down and, and his other son came and they, they, they brought him Al in and he was in a wheelchair. Barry. And, yeah, Barry. And he was, and he was, you know, very stoic. They brought him in and everybody came over to say hi to Al. And Barry's eyes lit up because when I walked over and I went to say hi to him, and I didn't even know if he would recognize me. He sat up in the wheelchair and he goes, hey, he so he said, young man. Hey, young man. Oh, man. So good to see you. And Barry's like, wow. Like he hasn't reacted to that like that in a long time. And I was so excited to see Al Jackson. I'll bet. 
Yeah. You know what else is really cool about Al? And this is before your time, but when Al was pitching for the Mets, that was an era when baseball players needed to have jobs during the winter because they weren't going to cut it 12 months a year on, on most baseball salaries unless you were an established star, and I mean big star. So Al worked at a clothing store in Jamaica, Queens called Howard Clothes, which I think has long since been defunct. But my dad liked to dress, and I used to beg him. He used to go to Jamaica shopping for clothes or Fresh Meadow shopping for clothes, and I would beg him to take me to Howard Clothes because hopefully when we walked in there, Al Jackson would be there. And occasionally he was on the floor, you know, not only selling clothes, but greeting fans with that great warm smile of his. And that's why they had him there, too. Not just because he could get you into a pair of 34s or 36s, but because he could talk baseball and you know his personality, endearing as they come. And what a wonderful, wonderful man. And I'm glad he was honored last night, even posthumously as sad as that is. And rest in peace to a great one, Al Jackson. Great stuff, great stories. Howie Rose, great having you on. As always, radio voice of the Mets on WCBS. Noel Brown, Mama Brown, Noel Monahan <laughs> at the time, sends, sends her regards, Howie. Thanks, best Noel. Thanks, Howie, appreciate it. Hope the car's running well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Howie. You got it, guys, anytime. That'll say a tout à l'heure to episode 74, the Chris Mazza edition ugh, of Amazing But True. I'm sorry to your family. Our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Munguia, for producing the show. Give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Send us an email at amazingbuttruepod at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 845-391-3660. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday evening after the Mets four-game series with the Marlins in Miami before our live show at Catch a Story on Sunday, August 8th. Come out. Enjoy the games.